politics without the soap opera with unfiltered constitutional conservative truth. The Conservative Review with Daniel Horowitz. And welcome back, fellow American patriots and Minutemen standing at the ready to fight once again for our life, our liberty, and our property. This is your host, Daniel Horowitz, back here today, Wednesday, the 15th of June. And if it's Wednesday morning, well, it's another primary election to analyze. Every Tuesday night, we've been having these primaries. And again, as you well know, this fight for life, liberty, and property, it will not take place at the ballot box. <laughs> that is, is, that's certainly become abundantly clear. It's a matter of us drawing red lines in the sand, informing people on the issues that matter, in the way they matter, at the time they matter, and getting in the faces of these people and pressuring them. It's not so much what happens in November, but every day in between that matters. And that's going to be the enduring lesson. Because if you're hanging your hat on the elections, you are a fool. So there's two stories that stand out to me that work against each other. And one of them is being discussed this morning more than the other. The big story, both the GOP establishment and conservatives are all crowing about this stunning victory in Texas 34, traditional Democrat district, 85% Hispanic. Uh, but, you know, as we well know, in the Rio Grande Valley of Texas, southern Texas, Hispanics have been flocking away from the Democrat Party in droves. And uh, this candidate, Flores, who's the wife of a Border Patrol agent, beat the Democrat. They picked up a seat. So even though it was a primary election in several states, Nevada, North Dakota, South Carolina, but there was a special general election to fill a vacancy in a federal House seat in Texas, and Republicans picked it up. Oh my gosh, this is a harbinger. Republicans could pick up even, you know, D plus 10 seats, and God knows they could they could get 270, 280 seats in the House. And and that's great. And I have nothing against Flores. Congratulate her. I, I don't know how good she is or isn't, although one house seat never matters. You're never gonna fix the country that way in Congress anyway. But that that that's great. And as I noted last week, it teaches the lesson that we've been lied to, that in order to get the Hispanic vote, you need to pander to open borders. It's funny, the GOP never does a mea culpa on that. But more broadly, this is great. So Republicans are going to take back Congress. I don't disagree with that. They probably will. But then there's an interesting thing. The same day, Mitch McConnell gives a speech and is like, I think... If this framework becomes the actual piece of legislation, it's a step forward on a bipartisan basis and further demonstrates to the American people that we can come together, which we have done from time to time on things like infrastructure and postal reform, to make progress for the country. So in other words, McConnell signed all, blessed the rhino deal of the 10 Republican senators to sell out on gun control, red flag laws, federal encroachment and involvement and basically weaponizing them to go after people like you and me. So even the issue that Republicans have stood steadfast the most on for so long, even at a time when Democrats are getting crushed and people don't want them and they're more unpopular than they've ever been, and at a time when we have so many other issues we could be focusing on, they screw us on even that issue. 
while today they are in front of the FDA committee approving infanticide, putting the Pfizer and Moderna poisons in children and you know babies and toddlers. They have nothing to say about that. They support it. You have the grooming nationwide. They have nothing to say. They support it. The fraud of giving $50 billion to Ukraine, and now we don't even know where what we got for it other than the fact that there's 46 biolabs there. And they don't focus on anything that matters. We have budget bills that they could fight for the next few months to build the momentum to promise to create red lines in terms of crime, illegal immigration, energy policy, and certainly COVID fascism, the mandates in the military, grooming programs within the federal government, nothing. So tell me, you think come November, this is going to change? And remember, with Republicans in control of Congress, you're going to have this controlled demolition, the weekly and sometimes daily uh, catalyzing great reset, fundamental transformational events, you know, the next arsoning of our food supply, who knows what they're going to do, and Republicans will fall into that trap willingly. So we could all celebrate, oh, you know, this hand of the political establishment of the global elites are going to win instead of this hand, right? But what difference does it make if this is what they're going to do to us? And this is the uncomfortable question that nobody wants to answer. So today I want to tie together both the election results as we've been doing every week and then weaving it back into this McConnell story on gun control and demonstrating what is happening but how it doesn't have to be this way. And given the political climate, there is so much we could be doing if we actually had sane people and we actually had a focused movement to create red lines. So back to the elections. Everyone's focusing on the general election, the special election we had, but I want to get back to some of the primaries. Um, I, admittedly, I didn't go through everything yet. I haven't sorted through much of uh, North Dakota and what, what went on there, if, if anything. But South Carolina had primaries. And interestingly enough, for the first time, an incumbent went down. I believe it's the first time a Rhino incumbent did go down at a federal level. Tom Rice, he's the congressman from the uh, Myrtle Beach-based area, and he was defeated handily. I mean, one of the worst ever by an incumbent. It was like two to one. And the conservative challenger won outright without having to go through a runoff. He got 50%. The Rhino only got like 25 26%, and there were several other challengers there. It would have gone to a runoff had he been below 50. Spectacular victory. Okay? And another case, Nancy Mace, just south of there in the Charleston area, you know, the challenger did pretty well, got 45 46% against her. She did pull it out. Um, you know, part of what played a role there is it is more of a moderate district, and our voters are brainwashed into this business of, oh, you know, it's you, it, you got to be electable. And, and the truth be told, Jody Arrington did, the challenger did lose the seat to a Democrat a few years ago. So I think that played a big role that Nancy Mace was like, look, you're going to lose the seat to her. So I think that's what happened there. But... Be it as it may, again, why is it 
that why is it that Tom Rice is the only guy to go down so far? And I should say, there's another one from Mississippi last week, similar predicament, supported impeachment, um, you know, you know, supported January 6th commission, anti-Trump, overtly, openly. He's headed to a runoff and he'll probably lose. It's just the challenger didn't get 50%. So we, we likely have at least two examples so far. And there will be more. Liz Cheney will go down like three to one, four to one. But yet, every other incumbent that is the same way, they win. And again, you understand already from listening to my show for many years, the difference. Because here Trump comes in, actively endorses, everyone understands a red line was set, that this incumbent voted for impeachment, that's something everyone understands, or they're overtly anti-Trump. Trump hasn't been winning for with all of them, you know, but he either comes close or does win, whereas every other one will get like 25, 30, 35% at best, and the incumbent wins. So again, that tells you that if Trump would actually stop just selfishly focusing on himself and just a personal vendetta, I'm not saying I want these guys, I want them defeated, but it's only when it comes to him, it should be just as bad when you have Republicans that support Pfizer and have supported open borders and these visa programs and criminal justice deform and have been weak on the, on, on the homosexual agenda and the training stuff. Should be the same thing. Okay? Anyone who doesn't support medical freedom. How do we make those as much of a red line as this issue? As Tom Rice. Everyone knew he was open about it. He supported impeachment. And and the voters got the message. But these other guys lie, but they're the same thing. It's not just, you know, you have 210 House Republicans or so. And there's the, the, the 15 or 18, almost all of them are either defeated, will be defeated, or um, d- didn't even stand for re-election. They retired. But, but the problem is the Kevin McCarthy, Mitch McConnell types, they're just as bad. They're just you know more subtle about it. And Trump could be helping us on all those other issues, but it's all about himself. So I want to extrapolate that on that and some of the other results here, um, and then tie it back to what what could be occurring. Today's show is sponsored again by Better Spectacles, America's only conservative eyewear company. Okay, eyeglasses. If you're if you're like me that you can't see well, you're you have severe nearsightedness. That's a vital product. Well, how many vital products could you purchase from a conservative vendor rather than a liberal one? Not many. So Better Spectacles gives you the right values, and the right product. Unlike the other pharma garbage, this is actually a medical product that works, measuring more than 7,000 points in your eye. They have German, the, the, the German company with the world's gold standard, Rodenstock. They're biometric intelligence glasses, or BIG, which gives you a seamlessly natural experience. Uh, I, I feel it all the time. My brain works seamlessly with my eyes. And believe me, I need that to process all the information and the writing and the um, you know, policy analysis I do on a given day. So like me, go to betterspectacles.com slash conservative to schedule a teleoptical appointment. Or if you have an eye doctor you like, you can go there, get a prescription, and then don't settle. 
Go big with biometrical intelligence glasses from Better Spectacles. You'll get an introductory 61% off their progressive eyewear. Not that type of progressive, plus free handcrafted Rodenstock frames. So again, betterspectacles.com slash conservative. That's betterspectacles.com slash conservative. So we have across the nation, you go to Nevada, they had primaries for Senate and governor, and both of Trump's picks won. For Senate, the guy Lantex is okay. There was a better one. But for governor, we have a total rhino Lombardo defeated Joey Gruber, uh, Joey uh, Gilbert, who, who actually worked with the frontline doctors as a lawyer for them, running on medical freedom. So we would have won if not for Trump's endorsement. Trump endorsed a complete rhino. This is the difference. You see where he jumps in on the right side, more than half the time we get a win. Where he doesn't jump in, and certainly where he jumps in on the wrong side, we lose 100% of the time. It doesn't have to be this way. And I'm, I'm going to keep pointing it out. It's pathetic. And I'm just going to tell you, you know, Steve Dace put out on Twitter, and I didn't ask him where he got this information from, but he's told that Trump is going to announce for president sooner rather than later. He wants to get ahead of the cycle. I'm like, you know, if you're going to do it, if I had one piece of advice, don't freaking make it about yourself this time. We are in so much pain. Make it about us. Okay, make it about the people. Talk about Pfizer and say how you're going to indict them. There's no reason he can't do that. Look, you know, I wanted to get vaccines as quickly as possible. I didn't know this was going on. Now we see that it was fraud. I'm going to hold them accountable for their fraud. Focus on the forgotten American. Don't just make it about a tit for tat. It was like this under my administration and Biden did this and da 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 da. You know, all about you. Even if it's a valid point, make it about the people. And that would start by endorsing people on the issues, not just personal vendetta. Let's just face it. He's only going after the rhinos that were bad on his things personally, like impeachment or, you know, who said things about Trump personally. But the guys that are rhinos, like anything, on every other issue that matters... Often he's downright endorsing them. Doesn't have to be this way. So that's number one. The other lesson that we're learning, as always, as always, is that the lower the office, the better we're doing. So I haven't followed the other states, so you know, you could. Email me, Daniel Hurwitz at startmail.com, if you have observations. But I'm just working off of South Carolina. I spoke to one of the conservatives in the legislature that I know there, and they believe that the Freedom Caucus in the legislature, so only the House had elections. Senate didn't have elections. They're on the other you know, presidential year cycle. South Carolina House, they believe they picked up six conservatives. They knocked off three incumbents, including, uh, what's her name, Rita Allison, who is a longstanding education committee chair. So again, we're seeing this cycle that at the lower the office, we're starting to pick up school boards. I think they had you know some success there in Spartanburg. Um, it's starting to happen. It's starting to gradually happen. But is it too little too late? For the lower offices, I could say that come next year, we will have better 
legislatures in almost every state. And that's really where we need to mount our focus. It's funny. Everyone's going to be, my concern is everyone's going to be consumed by Trump's paralysis of just his personality about himself running for president. Again, it doesn't have to be this way. Trump could use his platform and give, give voice to our issues. Imagine if you were to run around throughout all the state legislatures. But all the focus is going to be on him running for president and the GOP Congress. They'll certainly have the House, whether they take the Senate or not, who knows. But that will be the focus. No, we need to have a list of demands in every red state legislature. You'd be shocked at how much we could accomplish. Much more than in some stupid rhino general election. And it's interesting, Ballotpedia has some statistics that they looked at how many more primary challenges do we have in legislatures? How many more legislature le- legislative contests are um, contested? You know, because a lot of times, for something like state legislature, you're not going to have a challenge, you know, in a deep red district with an incumbent there. Interestingly enough, among Democrat primaries, it's actually down 10%. And that makes sense because Democrats are pedal to the metal radical. If you're a Democrat voter, you're happy with what they're doing. Interestingly enough, the amount of Republican primaries and legislatures that have been contested this election cycle is up 64%. I believe over like a five-cycle average they had. So we're actually trying and we're actualizing some degree of success. Um, Interestingly enough... If you look at school board races, this year there's an average of 2.3 candidates running for each seat in the 968 school board races in 16 states that have been completed so far, where they have complete data, that's 17% more than 2020. I don't see a partisan breakdown, but I would venture to suggest or to guess that it's likely more among Republicans as well. So again, these are welcome, welcome trends at a lower level. And what it tells me is that, again, two factors. You, we, it either, it only works at a lower level where you know it, it's not as cost prohibitive for normal people to get involved, or at a higher level, you have to have a red line that people fully understand and really Trump's endorsement. And more often than not, he's not helpful, but where he is, and even then it's only because it's personal, then we do have auspicious outcomes. By the way, interestingly enough, in South Carolina 5 upstate, and that's where we knocked off some incumbents in the, in the state and local races, uh, this guy Timmins, uh, I don't know the final result, but he only got like 52-53%. He almost got drawn into a runoff. No one saw that coming. The congressman from there, he's kind of just a lackluster whatever, the most conservative district in South Carolina. He's taking it up as a wasted seat. So, you know, that, there, there was something like 47% who voted against him. So again, in the most conservative parts of the red states, just like Northern Idaho, we're starting to get enough people, close to half, sometimes a little bit more, sometimes a little less, that get it. (laughs) That's kind of where we are. And then, you know, other places in red districts, you know, that aren't quite as red, it goes down from there. But more broadly speaking, what we are seeing is that voters are voting 
for what they would naturally project upon Republicans based on their disgust with Democrats. That's what you see in Texas 34, even in traditional Democrat districts, much less Republican districts. There's no question Democrats are going to get thrown out and crushed and people don't want them. But in their mind, they couldn't even envision the degree of perfidy. Well, if the Democrats are doing this, there's chocolate and vanilla. There's Yankees and Red Sox, right? There's night and day. There's Democrats and Republicans. Well, if Democrats are for this, Republicans must be in the opposite direction. So they're turning out to vote in primaries with a general election mindset without trying to decipher the fact that most of Republicans, unless you hear otherwise, unless they are in your face speaking your language, whether they're openly with the other side or quietly with the other side, by golly, they're with the other side. But they don't have that discernment. And this is basically what's happening with the primaries. But you see it with the turnout. So far, um, and this was early in the night. These are projections I saw, so they could be there. I'm sure they're a little bit, you, you could update them with hard data. This is a projected data I saw on, I, I think, from Decision Desk or one of their writers. GOP turnout in South Carolina was projected to be up 35%, while Dem turnout was down 17%. In North Dakota, GOP turnout was projected to be up 44%, with Dem turnout down 19%. So again, we're seeing that going on there. That this this same cycle, but we can't have nice things. And to me, this is the perfect example for all of time why we are so screwed. And it's not just that Republicans are scared of the news cycle; it's they don't share our values. Because how could you look at an electorate like this? And rather than smearing the Democrat perfidy on pharma and democide and COVID fascism and the border and crime and grooming and energy in their faces, instead, you let them off the hook, agree with them on those issues, and then join with them on their gun control initiative. So as you all saw yesterday, Mitchie McConnell was out there endorsing it. So this is going to happen. You'll have, you know, supermajority support in the Senate. And yet, here's what would happen if you had a Republican Party that maybe was timid, maybe was a little bit off, but somewhat shared our values. Democrats know that they're going to get a big historic concession from Republicans on guns. And they badly want it. You would think at least before McConnell throws himself at their feet, at least get something for it and especially get something that is a glass jaw for the Democrats on this very issue. They're complaining about gun violence. They want red flags. As we noted, the biggest red flag on guns is people who have already been convicted of violent felonies beating people with a gun, shooting people with a gun, carjacking people with a gun, and then they're caught possessing a gun illegally, and they are let out pretrial low bail, they're let out on probation, they're not reincarcerated after being caught with fel felony possession. This is the story of everywhere. I'm going to have a column out tomorrow. Uh, great organization, C Crime Watch Minneapolis. They have, a th they have a long mega thread on Twitter 
with over two dozen cases of this in Minneapolis just recently and how they're let off with a slap on the wrist. Nothing. So they talk about this. This It's actually a woman, Tasia Diana White, 27 convictions, including 10 felony convictions, most of them violent, including gun felonies. She barely served time, so it was in and out, you know, all these years. And then recently was charged with three new felonies, including felony possession, while two other previous felonies were still open cases. Yet Hennepin County State Judge Paul Scoggin gave her a downward sentencing departure and allowed her to serve three separate felony sentences concurrently. And that's one of the many ways how they barely serve time. Between 2013-2019, judges and prosecutors chose not to sentence minimum, to not sentence minimum prison sentences in felony firearms cases 40% of the time in Minnesota. This is the story of nearly every major city in America. Because Democrats don't believe in prison. Mitch McConnell could have thrown this in the face of the left yesterday. Could have done this. Okay, you want to red flag people who have committed no crime. Okay, no crime whatsoever. Circumvent due process. Well, what about people who have been convicted gun felons with due process? So rather than, look, I don't believe in doing this at a federal level. No involvement of DOJ will come to you know anything good. It should be done at a state level, and we should be pushing this in every state legislature. But if you're going to have federal funds to facilitate an end run around due process and a violation of constitutional rights, why not at least have federal funding to fund prosecutors' offices to only exclusively a grant program to go after all these gun felons on the streets and also to expedite their trials, give them more resources, right? Because a big part of the problem is they're out indefinitely on bail and then it's, it's those people that are committing all the shootings. So if you would expedite their trial and lock them up, you would prevent a good number of deaths in this country. We all know that. Everyone knows that. McConnell even gave a great speech on crime yesterday, by the way. Talking about all these, the the drug overdose deaths and the gun crimes and everything. But dude, you voted for the jailbreak first step act, Jared Kushner's piece of garbage. And you had your Republican caucus vote for it. You supported this. You let out the drug felons from federal prison, which most of them are also gun felons too. They're gangbangers. That's what they are. It's not about low-level drug offenses. We all know that. And then it's like this cognitive dissonance. One second he's giving into the Democrat premise on guns, and the other second he's giving a speech about all these Soros prosecutors, you know, letting out, you know, gun felons. So, dude, if you're going to at least sell us out on guns, at least extract from the Democrats a funding program and maybe a three strikes. And again, I, I think it should be done. I don't want federal laws. It should be done at a state level, but, but that McConnell doesn't believe in that. So have a federal three strikes and you're out three gun crimes, life in prison. Let's shake on it right now. Shove that in the Democrats face. Why not? Why not do this? But no, won't, extract anything and and what's funny is we had michael hammond of uh, gun owners of america on earlier this week he was talking about the the juvenile provision 
it's not even juvenile, it's 18 to 21 years old, they're basically going to deny legal purchases to someone who, you know, had some youthful indiscretion. Right, even I, you know, you know I'm a big hawk on going after juvenile, you know, violent criminals, but I think we all agree there are still those that kind of do stupid things and straighten themselves out. Their constitutional rights will be taken care of, taken away without due process. Right? You know, let's say for a misdemeanor. Okay? And then moreover, there's provisions that will go after um, gun store owners. So, you know, it will make it easier to hold him accountable with jail time if someone who purchased a gun winds up committing a crime with it, which we never do with anything else. They hold that guy accountable. It's not his fault. But yet, the juveniles that are carjacking and with a gun multiple times doing everything, even the ones that commit murder, they're let out on low or no bail. Deal with that. You cannot get a better political jujitsu on the Democrats' gun violence message than this. And McConnell even indulged it in a separate speech. But he won't exact it from them. Which demonstrates that even when Republicans are on message, it's skin deep. It's all for a political talking point, but there's never any follow through. And especially when you have the leverage points. Like, at least now they have leverage because they want to give them something and Democrats know they can exact something from them. Get something for it. You know, another thing they can get from there. Imagine if Mitch McConnell held a press conference and stood before the American people and said, look, Biden's complaining about gun violence. Well, here's an easy thing that we can do without sacrificing any constitutional things, constitutional rights, and so easy. We have enough of our own gun felons. Why in the world are we harboring other countries' gun felons? Illegal alien gun felons. Tomorrow, Democrats should agree to mandate that within a year, ICE identify every non-citizen gun felon in this country and remove them. Because of the suspension of removal, okay, from basically just the suspension of ICE, in FY 2019, 3,121 foreign nationals charged or convicted of weapons violations were removed. In FY 2021, under Biden, that number was down almost half to about 1,600. And again, that even then was only because of some of the policies of Trump were still in place if you would... uh. I, I guarantee you, FY twenty twenty two this year, it's it's a fraction of that. And then on the apprehension side, see these are the removals, but the amount that ICE apprehended because they abolished abolished the two eighty seven G program, the number of gun felons, foreign national gun felons apprehended in FY twenty twenty one, is down fifty two percent. How come he doesn't hold them accountable for that? Rather than red flagging people without due process, why not remove criminal freaking aliens caught with guns who don't have a due process right to be in the country anyway? So just remove them. Why is it that Republicans never get anything in return for selling us out? And the answer is because Republicans don't want the same things we want. That's what I want you to understand clearly. See, even if you felt that, oh, man, voters are just clamoring for gun control. I mean, we're going to lose, even though you just freaking won a Texas Hispanic congressional district that was Democrat for, for since the beginning of times in a special election. It's not Uvalde, but it's 
you know, not far from it, and it's the same kind of demographic of the people who suffered the attack, right? And they just tossed out a Democrat. Okay, so what? I mean, where's your political barometer? But then again, it's the same political barometer that said we need to support open borders, and they still believe in that quietly, by the way, and are still working on that, and the endless visas and ag programs, they haven't stopped that. And that's still going on. You know, they're a little bit, they're not going to support overt amnesty at this point, but they they eventually will get back to it. They're supporting other things. It's because they don't share our values. It took me many years to figure this out like everyone else. But at some point, you got to stop lying to yourself. Okay, this is what's going on with Republicans. At a time when we could crush them, we could set a red line on, on crime. They're not, they're not doing it. They're, they're broadly running on that there's a lot of crime and you're abolishing the police and they might even mention the service prosecutors here and there. But they will never follow through with policy outcomes that matter. And that's our job. We're not going to win primaries. We're not winning them. Nothing's going to change. Republicans will win big. We need to focus on policy outcomes, but mainly School boards, state legislatures, every day has to be in cycle. If you get a group together in your neighborhood, as 15 people, you'll have exponentially more influence than your vote does. If you actually pressure them, make red lines, just like impeachment. Every Republican knows they couldn't support that, and the ones that did were voted out. That needs to be done on the tranny agenda, on medical freedom, on illegal immigration, on crime, not just in the abstract, but tougher sentences on these people. This is what needs to happen. There's so many issues where we can do this on. You know, even even energy. Maybe I'll get to this a little bit more tomorrow. But like even energy, where that's one of the few issues along with kind of guns, abortion, taxes, where broadly speaking, Republicans are all united behind the right messaging. Oh, we should drill more. More, more coal, more this. But it's just rhetoric. When they have leverage on a budget bill, they don't force the issue. On ethanol and building more refineries, which is a big problem now, they won't actually take it past the goal line because it's all a fraud. It's all an illusion. So in the context of this discussion about what could be done... The issues for which we have tremendous momentum behind us, but Republicans are refusing to take it past the goal line, whether it's medical freedom, which is a huge one, crime. Another one is the grooming issue. I really feel like this is the first time in about 15 years that we've had momentum on our side on a cultural issue where it's finally gotten bad enough that people are waking up. By the way... You know, in our election analysis, one of the interesting observations I've had that we've been tossing out some incumbents in state legislatures, I've noticed we've tossed out a lot of education committee members and education committee chairs. I've seen this in Idaho, Kentucky, and South Carolina, and there might be more. Um, Iowa as well. I don't know if we got the chair there. We definitely got some members. So this movement with school boards and focusing on the grooming of our kids or the you know combating that the grooming of our kids i think this is one of the most auspicious issues that we have to strike while the iron is hot 
So with us on the line today is a member who actually believes in doing this. Someone who is actually the gold standards of what I want in a state legislator. Brian Slayton, he's a Texas uh, House member from District 2. That's a Wood County area in Texas. And he actually had the original bill for Texas to build the wall. Um, so he's always thinking at a state level how to combat the issues of our time. And he has a bill out that he plans on proposing to ban drag shows to, to make sure minors are not exposed to this criminal uh, you know, grooming. This is going to be the battle of our time, one of them, that's going to determine whether Republicans are just going to countenance our talking points or do they want policy outcomes and changes. With us today is Brian. Brian, thanks so much for joining us today. Hey, thank you for having me, Daniel. All righty. So I was very excited when I saw that news. Uh, you didn't notify me you were going to do this, but I saw it anyway, and I figured I got to get you on the show. Um, describe some of the provisions of your plan and why you think it's so necessary now. Yes. Well, we, we actually have three or four ideas we're working on, and we're actually prepared to present all three or four or more that pop up because we have to find a way to stop this. So there's no loopholes because we've had some of my other Republican colleagues say that, oh, well, there's already laws against this. Therefore, we don't need to do anything. And I told them that considering the police were out front of this business, protecting uh, the event, you know, allowing it to occur, we need to do something in our law so it can be stopped. So the goal, you know, the goal is is to stop it, How, in my opinion, however it takes. And it's probably be... Uh, three or four things because there's just a, a lot to cover uh, make sure we get everything in texas law. like i mean just the idea of you know we wouldn't let a child be in front of an, an adult woman in her underwear dancing and putting dollar bills in her underwear we wouldn't want that we don't want grown men wearing ladies underwear doing that so it's that simple that, that's just, <laughs> yeah it's that simple we have to it, it's common decency and i'll tell you my, at first, the phone calls we got were about half and half anger and, and supportive. But in the past three days, it's been nothing but supportive. I've even had one gentleman call me. He said, hey, I'm a homosexual from Dallas, and I want to tell you I support your bill because children don't need to be around drag. And, and it's a decency thing. And I go back to what I was telling people on this issue. We always found a reason not to fight as Republicans for some reason. Like six years ago in, in Texas, we chose not to fight on the, the bathroom bill. Well, if you remember back before 20 years, but I remember 20 years ago, there was NAMBLA, North American Man-Boy Love Association, yep. wanting to normalize the relationship between grown men and young boys. And I will just tell you, Daniel, in my opinion, they have advanced their cause over the past 20 years because look at where we're at right now. Yep. Um, but um, – you know, there are there's an element of this LGBTQ movement that wants to normalize all of these things, the horrible things. But there's also some in there who are saying, yeah, that's a little too far. So we have a lot of support, I believe. I believe there's a lot of Democrats that support it, but they are terrified of their LGBT, LGBTQ wing. So it'll be real interesting to see how this plays out. They may actually be more afraid of this bill than Republicans because they don't want to vote against my bill but if they support it i think they're afraid of the backlash they're going to get from the the base in their party 
So I want you to explain to the audience the scope of the problem. You know, I'm from Maryland, so typically I would long to move to a place like Texas and say, wow, I want to go to a place that shares my values. But indeed, this is going on in Texas. Is this going on in libraries, in schools? Where, where yes. do you see the problem in Texas? So I'm a, I'm a rural East Texas representative, and I can tell you we have porn in our school libraries in these East Texas schools, little small 1A, 2A schools, they're there. And in the past, we've always kind of looked and said, oh, that stuff only happens in New York or California. Um, And then at times, it only happens in Austin or Houston or Dallas, right? But it's all, it's everywhere. It's it's the porn in schools, the gender modification of children. I've found out that uh, our tax dollars here in Texas are going to to fund these procedures on kids and the prescription medication on children to, to chemically castrate them. And it's a part of our curriculum for our doctors in training, graduating from medical school. So it it is all over the place in Texas. And the reason it's here is because Texas Republicans, which I would say probably not too different than other Republicans, they're afraid to take a stand and take the fight to the left. All they care about is the next election. We just want to make sure we win the election and we stay in power. But then they squander the opportunity God has given them. And now look (laughs) at us. I mean – at some point, the Republicans got to wake up and say, we've got to do something different or it's all for nothing. Do Just something different. Power doesn't matter. That's yeah. exactly the point. Yeah. You didn't hear the beginning of the show, but that's exactly what we talked about. Everyone's crowing about. Speaking of Texas, mm-hmm. Texas 34. Man, look at Democrats are even losing traditional de- Democrat districts. That's great. But there's no evidence that Republicans, especially at a federal level, but even a lot of states are changing. So let me ask you this. Here's one one thing that really bothers me. You have a great idea. It's an emer- I would say an emergent idea. And there's many emergent issues. We have the medical mm-hmm. tyranny, right? You, know, you talk about the mm-hmm. curriculum in the medical schools, but also the state medical board going after doctors. I know uh, one of your friends, Senator Bob Hall, is is working on that legislation with some of our Patriot doctors. You have the COVID fascism. You have mm-hmm. um, the border is, is I mean it's biblical. What you know from Texas's standpoint. You have mm-hmm. so many emergent issues, yet there's this nonsense that you guys meet for three minutes every other year. Oh, whoops, I guess we got to wait till the audio. So this year you weren't in session. Doesn't something need to be done? I'm not saying you have to sit in Austin, you know, 365 days a year, but where you could easily get in and hold hearings and vote on this stuff more regularly and and not wait forever for this to, to be dealt with. Well, I, I kind of got, I got mixed feelings on it. I, I would like to see another avenue pop up, you know, so many legislators call a special session because right now the only person that can do it in Texas is the governor. It would be nice to have another backup. Yes. That, you know, so many legislators do it. We can we could trigger one. But my thing is, is we squander the sessions we have. We can in, in the uh, uh, the hundred and uh, was 120 days we meet every other year. We could get legislation passed. Um we just choose not to. We have, I mean, I'm, I'm sitting here in my booth at the Republican convention. It's about to get kicked off a little later today. And I'm trying to, to talk to the Republican delegates here and get them to make a legislative priority for this next session being stop giving Democrats chairmanships. Most people don't realize that's what we're do, we do in Texas. 
<laughs> we give chairmanships to Democrats. We give them more power than the people give them on Election Day. And then we wonder how they kill our, our policies. They kill, kill our bills. And, um, and then they advance things that uh, are supported to their agenda. And so um, we have to have a, a, a mentality, a winning mentality. It kind of goes back to, you know, back when we America was in World War II and World War I, we, we fought to win, right? We wanted victory. But then change, things changed when we stopped declaring war and we just had conflicts and, you know, executive orders getting our, our fighting men and women into harm's way. For some reason, we stopped fighting for victory and we were just in conflict, right? And, and that's kind of us Republicans. We're just uh, – we're yeah. not fighting to win. And when, when the time starts to do the session – we're not taking care of business, and uh, and I you know I hope that changes. I think amongst the the voters, amongst the Republicans, I think people want to change, but it's the elected officials, the Republicans yes. that they love to go along to get along. They like to go to the cocktail party and everybody be friendly. And we got to get away from that. Because I think to. you and I both know what's going to happen at a federal level. Republicans, let's just say for argument's sake, they take the House and the Senate. They'll they'll then say, I mean, I, I could I could swear on this. We know this is going to happen. There's there's it, it won't happen any other way. Well, Biden's still president, so we can't get anything done, and we can't fight on budget bills because we can't uh, risk a government oh, shutdown. Yeah. So done. So so you guys are done. But in Texas, you guys are standing at the precipice where mm-hmm. you will have a trifecta, and I would be shocked if you don't get a supermajority trifecta, just because not only are the Democrats unpopular with everyone, but particularly the historic shift of the Hispanic vote. So you're going to have kind of almost a double um, backlash against the Democrats in Texas. You're going to, I don't say you, but the Republican Party will have a really good night in November um, in, in the state of Texas. But the question oh, is, yeah. the day after... You guys, everything except for foreign policy, and even then, like the border, you guys, you know, you're a border state. You should be able to handle that. You mm-hmm. guys should be able to redress most of the grievances of the people without even mm-hmm. worrying about Joe Biden. What are some of the plans you have in place to to make it that this year is going to be different? Yeah, well, if 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 I can get my Republican colleagues to, to fight, uh, and think different about protecting, you know, our state, and our country, and advancing our policy. One of the things I think Texas, we should have our own strategic reserves of gas. So when mm. we had that winter storm, we could have we could have had the the gas to help us get out of that, where it wasn't a big, you know, price hike that you know caused a big state. Also, with the fuel prices like they are now, imagine Texas being able to provide gas to Texas citizens to help bring the gas prices yes. down. Why don't we use what's under our feet that every other state wishes they had and many other countries wishes they had under their feet, and let's take care of Texas and do strategic reserves. Yep. I think we um, we need to label the cartels as narco-terrorist organizations, and that will increase penalties. We're going to have to uh, find a way to get harder on the cartels and human trafficking uh, ourselves. Um, uh, and then, of course, uh, on this uh, gender modification of children, porn in schools and drag queens in front of children events, we have to stop those things. We have to find a way 
to do it. Um, and, 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 you know, um, I think I saw the other day West Virginia did something going after some top five financial institutions or something they can't operate uh, because of some uh, policies they took. Uh, I forget what, what it was, but, but the idea of standing up to these big corporations that are trying to advance the left agenda and, and circumvent you know, just our policy and the will of the people. One example, um, so private equity firms. And they they run around getting private investors to invest in their funds so that they can you know do business, expand business. And and used to they would just make a, a promise for a return on investment. What we're seeing now is they're making a promise to these investors, saying, you know what, if you if you invest with us, we will make sure our HR department teaches critical race theory. We will make sure that the businesses we use use so much green energy. To operate their yep. business. Well, what we've seen in rural Texas is every county in Texas is getting solar farms if they don't have wind farms. Uh, East Texas wind wow. farms don't do well. And so each county is now getting solar and wind farms. We have oil and gas under our feet that we, we're okay. So, so they're right? locked we, up. We pro- Companies are now saying it's it's impossible to invest in a oil refinery. We haven't had oil refineries yes built since 1974 and the ones that are are being converted into ethanol you know churning yeah. operations yeah but it's, here yeah well here's where it gets interesting they're doing all that and then you know who's backing that up the sec securities and exchange commission the only bureaucracy actually putting people in jail right i've joked that they need to be over our border but they're <laughs> they're looking into these investments and, and they're making sure that these companies are using green energy, teaching critical race theory, and holding them accountable. So they're taking the, this agreement between a private individual, private company that's pushing the leftist ideology and making sure it's happening. And that means city government, county government, and state government in Texas doesn't matter because the SEC is going to enforce it, make sure they're happening. And of course, a lot of these are going to be big employers, right? And so we've got to find a way to combat that because that's a way that they're pushing things down our throat without even having to pass anything into law or ignoring a ban on critical race theory that we passed here in Texas. So um, we've got a lot to do because, I mean, as I've told my colleagues and, and people I represent, the left is not slowing down and they're not stopping. They're throwing more stuff yeah. at us all the time, and we think we're going to fix it with having three priorities. I was just telling the the state party here, I don't care how many legislative priorities you give us. Give us the appropriate amount to attack the left and what they're trying to do to Texas. And I'll fight for every one of them. Well, yeah, and and we we obviously hear we hear the noise in the background. You're you're at the convention now. And I'd say I didn't know you could hear that. that, That's a very important convention because Mm -hmm, because you guys are it's the second biggest state. It's the biggest red state. You, as you mentioned, you got a lot of God-given resources. So there's a lot you can do to declare independence from this federal mm-hmm. morass that we have. Mm-hmm. And you know, again, just on on gas and oil. I mean, at some point, you need to interpose on behalf of the people and say this is immoral. You can't put people into poverty. You can't lock up our resources. We're going to do what we want, and we're going to create a long-term climate here for business and know that you know, if you want to build refineries here, we'll have your back. If you want to do things like mm-hmm. that, we'll have your back. Uh, but we're not going to tolerate this uh, you know, cultural Marxism either. And you know, 
I, I really just hope they don't get focused on the stupid presidential race, the this, the Congress. It's not going to do anything. If you can't, in the political climate you have today, with the tailwinds against your back and the hatred for the Democrats among traditionally Democrat voting uh, vo- voters in, in South Texas and and do this with a, a supermajority, likely you'll get that, then there's nothing left. Um, so it, it just before you leave, going back to the transgender stuff. Uh-huh. What other things do you think you can do broadly on education? Because what I'm finding is that if you go to the public schools in a state like Texas, they're just as bad as where I'm from. It's the same culture. Don't you ultimately need an affirmative agenda? In other words, not just, oh, don't do this because it never winds up working yeah. out that way. But the same way they yeah. have their agenda, we have, let's just say, a 1776 agenda. Don't we have to actively put our thumb on that scale? Oh, absolutely, absolutely. We need to we need to push. Uh, well, you know, we need to make sure go- the things are ordered in in whatever it is, education, wherever. That we have God's law first, nature's law second, and then man's law third, and focus on that. That we need to be two genders, man and woman. Encourage families, right? We need families to be together, not families. Uh, uh, destroyed, propping up men, you know, deme- demeaning the men, but propping up only women. We we need to talk about the the, the actual roles men and women have, yes. and trying to help help them do what God created men and women to do and be. We are different, and um, and yeah, absolutely, we need to be aggressive. We need uh, our own Pride year. Month. We need maybe let's make July Biblical yeah. Pride Month. You know, yeah, absolutely. I, I admire the left. They they are that's a good word because they are proud of their their you know demonic and pagan beliefs, and they'll shove it up your throat. And I think what Governor DeSantis is showing in Florida is you can't fight malignancy with indifference or something benign, something neutral. It's just not going to happen. Mm-hmm. Those days of neutrality are over because that vacuum is always filled with something active. You know, I find it like a lot of people are like, well, you know, Brian, I don't like what you're doing telling people not to have drag races. Well, so it's interesting. So a state could tell people you're not allowed to breathe. I could literally cover your breathing holes. Um, I could control every yeah. aspect of your life and arrest, uh, you know, small business owners, as Governor Abbott did, for not, uh, mm-hmm. you know, for, for opening a business. But a state doesn't have an interest in what it did since our founding, really, is, you know, regulating certain, you know, very destructive, licentious behaviors, especially regarding children. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, that's nonsense. But you're going to get that pseudo-libertarian argument. I know you will. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. Uh, But, yeah, absolutely. We we have to do that. We have to start thinking of ways to fight back. And, uh, you know, like – I, like I say, I don't know how it's going to take shape. We're working on it, but it could be, you know, like for instance, in Texas, to combat human trafficking, we made people that were strippers get a license in Texas because um, there's people come across the border getting put in these sexually oriented businesses, and, and uh, so now we have licenses to help identify these people and help prevent some of that. I mean, one idea possibly is to make anybody in drag uh, get a license because these are. Completely sexual in nature. And the other thing, Daniel, it's funny. So you think about what the left has said through the years, through their women's living movement, and how bad they think we are, because we talk about family values. And, and, of course, we think it's okay if there's a homemaker, right? If there's the man's working, the woman's at home, that's okay, because the mother's raising the children. There's nothing wrong with that. Well, drag takes 
the qualities in a woman that the left hates, that they, they think we push on women, right? They, they take just the sexual aspects of a woman and then just materialistic with this fashion and makeup. And that's how they personify and objectify women through their, quote, art, right? For some reason, they defend that, right? It's such a, a in my opinion, a demeaning characterization of women yep. to show kids, yeah, this is what a woman is. Yep. Just shaking her rear, wearing hardly any clothes, and wearing all this gaudy makeup, you know? And, um, and and how the left thinks that's okay, you know, I don't, I don't it, It's it. funny. A left's can, if you think about it, the left's construct of a woman is either a, a sex tool, just to put it bluntly, or mm-hmm. women are men too. Like, so it's like, yeah, you know what yeah. I mean? Like, oh, women should be, yeah. you know, in combat. And so either, you know, you denude their femininity or you flaunt mm-hmm. their femininity for sin. <laughs> There's no <Yeah>. in between. <laughs> I know. Isn't it crazy? And, and then, of course, they don't want women. If they're going to allow men to compete in women's sports, women aren't going to win awards. Women aren't going to be able to be a, on a team sport and get the the experience of learning how to be on a team uh, on a team and work together and all that. They're going to be denied because men are going to take those positions. Men are going to break records. Men are going to get the trophies, and they have no problem. And then some of these same you know say same men they're they're going to uh, encourage drag in front of children and it's teaching kids that, Oh, women are only there for sex and, and, and uh, materialistic. Right. And, and it's just how they get away with it and how no one really holds them accountable. Like, Hey, y'all, y'all are pretty demeaning to women. It's not the Republicans at all. Yep. Yep. Y'all are very demeaning. Um, and so we're, we're just going to have to find ways to, to fight back. And like I say, I don't know exactly how it's going to look, but we're looking for every opportunity. And like I say, one of those, one of those things that could help with a drag is make them get a license. And then we'll yep. see some of these drag people like that were at this one in Dallas that kind of kicked this whole thing off. One of the guys there performing for the kids, he's been arrested for assault, prostitution, drugs, you name it. And, yeah. and they think it's okay for him to be there with the kids. And we don't know anything about whether there's been rehabilitation or nothing. Um, we, we just know he has a rap sheet. And we, you know we're not supposed to talk about that. No, but you have a constitutional that's... right to to promote drag, right? You have to be 21 yeah. to to buy a gun, but uh, mm-hmm. you know that's that that's just where we're at. And and, and again, you know, you got to appreciate it. They fight for their values. They're consistent about that. The question is, will we fight with equal and opposing force for what we believe in, Brian? We're going to be counting on you. Um, you're just one legislator out of thousands in the country, but you are in a pivotal state and. We hope to hear more from you on this, the border, um, medical freedom. It's going to be a very important year, pivotal year in Texas. Whether Texas lives up to its reputation or it continues as a fake red state, um, certainly keep us updated. God bless you for your work, and let's stay in touch. All right. Thank you, Daniel. Talk to you later. Take care. So, again, that was Representative Brian Slayton, a state legislator from Texas, one of my many friends in legislative bodies that I try to work with, and he's a really good guy. I could have picked many other people, but, you know, as you can see, this is a pivotal state. They're actually at that Republican convention now. This is when you need to recognize this is our time, this is our place, this is our moment. And it all gets back to red lines. Are we going to set red lines like the left does? You see, with primaries, you can't have a Democrat fully thwarting their party or their ideology, their base on a single issue without them being thrown out in a primary. Yeah, you go to us, aside from impeachment, it's like, 
nothing happens because we don't set those red lines. I'm sorry to say this, but clearly we don't feel as strongly as the other side does. And Newton's laws of motion dictate that, you know, the the object will go in the motion of where there's the most force behind it. That's just what it is. You need equal and opposing force to keep that sense of stasis, just that that equilibrium. It's interesting. They're talking, as I'm speaking now, and I, I see my buddy Steve's talking about it. I'll be on his show a little bit later today. There's a poll that Axios is pushing right now, very fascinating poll, that... 71% of young Democrats wouldn't go on a first date with someone who voted for the opposing party's presidential candidate. 37% said they wouldn't consider any friendship, not just like a, you know an intimate one, but any friendship with someone from the other party. But then you go among young Republicans, again, among Democrats, it was 71% said they wouldn't date someone else. Here it was only 31% who said they wouldn't date a Democrat, and 5% said they wouldn't be friends with a Democrat. Now, you might say, well, that's a strength because we're good people. And in, in an ideal world where the Democrats wouldn't have sullied life the way they have, we would all be fine with that. It would be back in the days of Reagan and Tip O'Neill, but it ain't. And the Democrats have done what they've done. And it's literally worse than intermarrying um, through a different religion because it is a religion. It's a pagan. So I'm sorry to say that's actually not a good thing. Again, in a vacuum, the fact that there's a few Republicans that are like that, in a vacuum, that's not a bad thing. But in a world where the Democrats are the way they are and 71% say they wouldn't, you need to reciprocate. You can't have a weak mindset to combat something that truculent, that ferocious, that committed. Hence, you can't have a weak Texas as a red state as a counter to California and Massachusetts. Texas needs to be as red as California is blue. And that is our challenge. How do we make that happen? How do we make that happen? And the answer is, you focus local, you focus on the issues, you you make policy demands, you keep being noisy about it, but if all you're going to do is turn out every other year in November and vote for whatever Republican is there, and you think things are going to change, man, you're just as mentally ill as someone with, with a gender dysphoria. <laughs> okay? You just don't get it. But I think you guys listening absolutely do get it, but I need you to make sure others get it as well. Send this show to everyone you know. It's always a unique take, unique perspective, unique forward-looking strategy. Till tomorrow, God bless y'all, and thank you for listening.